before you tonight. Just wanting to learn more of your word, Lord, and we want to um, bless you with our worship and our praise. We ask you to forgive us for our sins, Lord, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray that, Lord God, you would uh, bless all the folks that are sick or not feeling well, the ones that are in the hospital, uh, help Brianna who's having this baby, and Lord God, we just pray that um, uh, all the folks on the prayer list for this church will uh, have their needs met, Father, by you. We thank you for that. We pray for our country, Lord God, and ask that you would bless and help our president and all of our elected officials to do your will. Please, Father, we pray that you will um, protect our servicemen and women wherever they're stationed and give them fellowship. And Lord, we just thank you so much for everything. Thank you for this church and for the the place to meet. And we thank you for the friends and the fellowship, the food. We just thank you for everything, Father. You're so worthy. We ask that you'll open up this book of Hebrews to us, this last chapter and, and the rest of it, Lord, that we might understand your word and gain faith. We'll thank you for that, Lord. Lord, bless your people around the world. Bless those who are persecuted, those who are living in countries where they cannot worship you openly or are living in and through some kind of disaster. Help your Christian people with their health and their marriages or if they're single, help them with their businesses and jobs and ministries, Lord. And We just thank you for everything you do, Father, and we especially thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord Jesus, we sure do thank you for your precious life, your death, your resurrection, and your intercession for each one of us, Lord, as we call on your name. We will give you the praise and glory always in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, my friends, we are in the book of Hebrews. We are in, well, hmm. Hippie. Um, let's do a review of chapter 12. How many were not here either last Wednesday or Sunday? Not. Okay, okay. So what I'm going to do then is um, I'm just going to read chapter 12 because I hit chapter 12 pretty good in church on Sunday and then um, we'll go into 13 and then we'll do a review. Chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews is called the faith chapter, all right? And it gives us examples of old Testament believers and the faith that they had and the things that they did with that faith. And it talks about Abel who offered a better sacrifice than his brother Cain did. It was a, a sacrifice that God accepted. It talks about Noah. Noah built an ark after God told him to and saved his entire family. Abraham. Abraham believed God for the promise that when he, God said, through you will come many, many descendants, and I will build a nation out of them. And even though that promise took 25 years to fulfill, Abraham believed it. Um, Moses, Moses' parents, they disobeyed the law that the Pharaoh put out, and they s saved their son sent him down the river, and he ended up growing up in Pharaoh's house as, you know, a very privileged person. They did that by faith. And then Moses, by faith, left the palace, left that lifestyle, and joined with his own people, the Jews, and ended up, of course, leading them out of slavery. And, you know, it goes on and on. And, and really, the point is this of that chapter is that by faith, we accomplish things, all right? We believe in God by faith. We trust in Him by faith. And He rewards that faith by being pleased with us. Without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. It's just simply impossible. You might say to yourself, well, 
gosh, I don't think I have much faith. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said if you had a faith that was as big as a grain of a mustard seed, which is like a poppy seed, I mean, it's very small, you could tell mountains to move. So it kind of tells me how big my faith is. Unfortunately, in the whole scheme of things, okay, our faith could be a lot bigger. Now, how do we get more faith? Well, in Romans, it says that faith comes through the hearing of God's Word. So we get faith by hearing it, reading it, speaking it, and doing it. That's how faith builds. And faith is the foundation for everything in the Christian life. Everything. It's the foundation for hope. How can you hope, right? How can you hope in a, in a future eternal life? Or even how can you hope that God will be with you in this life if you don't have faith? How can you love if you don't have faith? It might be easy to love the lovable, but what about those that aren't quite so lovable? Okay, That takes faith to love them, doesn't it? Yeah. So faith is very, very important. And so in chapter 12, verse 1, okay, we're in Hebrews 12, 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... I just gave you some of the witnesses. Moses, Abraham, Abel, uh, Moses' parents, etc., etc. They are the witnesses. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So just in this one verse, we can get a lot of information. Number one is there's a race marked out for each one of us, right? We are in a race. You're either in God's race or you're in the rat race. One of the two, okay? Um, Secondly is this, is that there are things that entangle us, sin. There are things that hinder us. You know, I gave the example last Sunday of you know, the bicyclist who has the streamlined pants and shirt and everything. To Now, we might look at that and think that's silly. And in some cases, they look pretty silly at times, right? But if you're in a race and you're competing, you want every edge you can get. And same with the speed skaters that have the outfit and the helmet with that's... that's uh, that's aerodynamic, teardrop helmet, etc. Look at what they do in NASCAR. and I mean, everything is so competitive today. And we are in a race, in essence, okay, we are in a race for life. All right, for life, for our lives. Not that we would lose our lives, but that we would gain as much of our lives as we can. Okay, I want to build as much capacity to enjoy this life as I can while I'm here. And I'll tell you why. Because I really believe there's a direct correlation of how much you're going to enjoy heaven based on the capacity that you build here on the face of this earth to enjoy God. You're going to enjoy heaven based on the capacity that you built with God here on the face of this earth. So, where does faith come in on that? Well, it's everything. I mean, it's just everything. You see, when we get to heaven, we won't need any more faith. It'll all be there in front of us. We'll be able to see it, touch it, feel it, etc., those spiritual things. So we won't need to have faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, there will be no need for hope in heaven because all our hopes will be realized. All our faith will be realized. All our dreams will be realized. Everything will be realized in heaven. So this is the place that counts right now. 
because this is the only place, this is the only time we have, and it's pretty short, where we have, where we're able to shape ourselves. And in so doing, we even get to shape others sometime, don't we? Or at least we get to influence others. So this scripture here has the connotation, not that Old Testament saints can see us. You know, I have people all the time. One gal came here as a visitor, and uh, she's, and, and I was up here speaking. And I, I said, you know, I says, I really don't think people in heaven can see us. Why would they want to? Why would you want to interrupt perfection to look down on imperfection? Because down here we have the tears and we have the sorrows and we have the the stresses and the troubles, etc. They don't have that up there. Why in the heck would you want to look down and go, oh, dang, that's Steve. He's really, oh, he's having a tough, tough. And she didn't like the fact that I didn't think people looked down on heaven. So she said, I'm not coming back to this church. Okay. You know, when I'm in heaven, I don't want to look back. I don't know what that was, but it, it didn't sound very good, did it? I don't want to look back. I want to enjoy what I have there. But this has the connotation of these Old Testament saints in a gallery, if you will, cheering us on in this race. We've already done the race. We're there. We understand what you went through. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked for, out for us. Um, my brother-in-law one time told me, he says, you know, he says, I try not to let dysfunction, other people's dysfunction enter my life. You know, people come to you with their, oh, did you hear what Mary Sue did? I'll tell you. I don't want that dysfunction in my life. I really don't. I got enough. Thank you very much. Okay? It says here in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. This should be our focus. The author and perfecter of our faith. He's the captain of the ship. Who for the joy set before him. You could even say for the finish line set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was on the finish line? Well, with Jesus Christ, the finish line was this. Number one, he was going to go back to his father. Okay, So he was, he was out. Number two, is he was going to bring a whole lot of people with him. You and me and everybody else that believes in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior is going to go to heaven. That was the joy that Jesus Christ had set before him. He saw the finish line even though he had to go through the race to get there. And his race was tough. Man, the cross was tough. Just his life was tough. You know, think about this for just a minute. This is tough. I, I either got to get bigger ears or something. I'm not sure what it is. They're supposed to grow as you get older, so oh, maybe I'll be fit into this thing one of these days. You know, I, I continue to be amazed at Jesus Christ that he, he was born on the face of this earth, went, through life as a little baby, a toddler, a youth, a pre-teen, a teen, a young man, an adult, and never committed one sin. Whew. I mean, you know he was taunted. You know he was probably called goody two-shoes, right? 
The rumor was, of course, that Mary was pregnant before she was married to Joseph and that Jesus was illegitimate. So you know he suffered a lot of uh, taunting because of that, I'm sure. That was a big no-no in the, in the Jewish culture. But he went through that for us. Not only did that, it says here that he, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Think about this just for a minute. Think about your sins. Okay? The sins you've committed, right? Jesus Christ, every single one of those sins was put on him and judged. Now, think about the sins that people like Hitler committed. And people like Jeffrey Dahmer committed. And people like Mussolini. And I mean, we go on and on. Every single sin of every single person that would ever be born was put on Jesus Christ and judged. That's the reason he screamed for those many hours, my God, speaking of the Father, my God, speaking of the Holy Spirit, why have you left me? Because God could not look on those sins. Now, how much endurance do you guys think it took to do that? Unfathomable. A lot more than all of us put together times a bazillion. Just amazing. Jesus Christ lived for us. He went to the cross looking at the finish line, thinking, I am going to bring as many people to heaven as want to want to come. That's why he did it. It says here, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of, the God, of God. Then in verse 3, it says, consider him. And if you go to the Greek of this, it, mean, it means to, to really take note, to investigate, to study what Jesus Christ did. Consider him... Study him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Why? Well, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why? Because you're going to endure opposition from sinful men. Right? You got a boss that you don't like, or, or uh, you got husband or wife troubles, or who knows what. Hundred different things for a hundred different people, huh? Verse four in your struggle against sin, this is a very powerful verse, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Listen to what this is. This is a quote from Psalm ninety four, and it says this my son. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. This is supposed to be encouragement. He says, you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So we are to look at discipline and, you know, what word is contained in the word discipline? Disciple. You want to become a disciple of Christ? Be prepared to be disciplined because it takes discipline to become a disciple. How does God discipline us? Well, you know, he's, he's got his ways, that's for sure. I mean, tests. Trials. Yeah, I heard an interesting thing the other day. How can you have a testimony if you don't have any tests? Right? Got to have tests to have a testimony. God is going to discipline us, and that is to make sure that we are on the correct path. Thinking correct thoughts. 
doing correct things. He says here in verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Now he uses an earthly example here. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers, that would be our human fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Why does He discipline us? That we may share in His holiness. He disciplines us so that we can share in His holiness. What, you know, when we think about holiness, you know, there's a lot more to holiness than what we think. I mean, Think about this for just a minute. Pure joy. Pure joy that is, has no um, impurities in it. Wouldn't that be amazing to have pure joy with no impurities in it? That's a part of God's holiness. That's a part of what He wants for us. Okay? And other things. He says here, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. My dad, of course, my dad was a service man, lifer, in the army. And when I was a kid, he assigned me to take care of the flower garden. That was part of my chore. And I would have to weed it and rake it and, you know, make sh- trim it, blah, blah, blah. Well, he would come out and inspect. And if all the rake marks weren't going in the same rec- direction, right? And then when you turned a corner, the rake marks had better turn the corner just right. He'd make me do it over again. Oh, yes, it's the most But you know what? That discipline taught me how to study. That discipline taught me how to keep my cars cleaned and, and et cetera. That discipline taught me how to do a lot of things that now bears fruit. Although when it was happening, it wasn't necessarily pleasant, right? Are you with me? Okay. Now, verse 12. It says, therefore, so this verse is going to conclude or reach a conclusion about what we've just been talking about, discipline. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Now we have some warnings here. It says in verse 14, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it, and this is very important, verse 15, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, it amazes me. I'll be talking to somebody and they'll go, oh yeah, I'll tell you, you know, 15 years ago, that I, I remember that guy distinctly. He, he really did me wrong. And I'm like, you're going to go back 15 years? You know, Forget what's in the past. Learn the lessons. Get on with life into the future because I guarantee you there's going to be enough disappointments ahead of you where you don't need to add them up from what's behind you. Move on. Okay? He says here, 
See to it that no one is sexually immoral or as godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. What this is saying to us is this. Esau had an inheritance. He was the oldest son. He had a very good inheritance, and he gave it up for some worldly thing. He was hungry. He, he, he uh, d- in essence, despised or devalued. He devalued his inheritance. He says, ah, give it to my... Give it to the brother. He says, I, I, I want a bowl of porridge. And what this is saying to us is this. Don't trade any part of your reward that God has got reserved for you in heaven thinking that this world has got some reward for you. Don't trade the rewards, okay? These rewards here on the face of this earth are not worthy to be compared with the ones we're going to see. It's, it's a completely different classification. It says here in verse 18, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them. Remember in the Old Testament when they came to the mountain there and Moses was up on the mountain and there was there was smoke on the mountain and there was thunder and there was lightning and there was it it it, it really caught it, it caused people to tremble and the idea behind that was that without Christ God is unapproachable you have not come to that kind of a mountain That's the kind of mountain that the Old Testament believers came to because Jesus Christ had not yet come. It was a fearful, fearful time. It says, but it does tell us to what we have come. It says here in, and let me finish up here, it says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to it. They didn't want to hear it anymore because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But... When we see a but, we see a contrast. Exactly. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Now listen to this description. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels. What's thousands upon thousands of angels? Lots of angels. Yeah. Tens of thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We've, we come to Jesus. That's what we. Jesus Christ took it. For us, He took the punishment. He took the guilt. He took all of that for us so that when we come to God, we come to angels in joyful assembly. What does it say in the Bible? It says that the angels rejoice. What? Thank you. Yeah. The angels rejoice. When, when we come to know the Lord. Now, think about this. If the angels rejoice at one person, how about a thousand people? How about ten thousand people? How much rejoicing is there in heaven every day? Lots. Lots and lots and lots and lots. Now, he goes on. He says in verse 25, and this is a warning. 
He says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, in the Old Testament, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, I will not only shake the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, now, this verse is going to sum up again what we've been talking about here the last few minutes. Therefore, since we are receiving, are receiving, is that past, present, or future? That's present tense, isn't it? We are receiving it now. We also are going to receive it in the future. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read about rewards and the, the, um, the distribution of rewards, okay? And I've, I've gone over this many times, but it never hurts to go over it again. So the foundation that is laid in our lives is Jesus Christ. Okay, that's our foundation. This word here is our foundation. This is our instruction manual. It pays to know it. Now, how you build upon that foundation now is going to depend, or your rewards are going to be dependent on how you build on that foundation. It says in Corinthians, what kind of building materials are you going to use? It gives us six different building materials. Wood, hay, stubble, precious stones, silver, and gold. Okay? Precious stones, silver, and gold can withstand high degrees of temperature. Wood, hay, and stubble, well, they'll even spontaneously combust at times. Okay, so the wood, hay, and stubble that people use to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, that is the works that they do on their own. That is um, pretentious Christianity, etc. That, that is Christianity that is not true to this word. All right? Those things will be burned up. The rewards from those things. However, the soul will be saved, it says, in that scripture. So there will be a smoking and non-smoking section in heaven. Okay? Yeah. My probably will be... I'll probably be somewhere in between the two. I, I'm guessing. Let's go to chapter 13. We're going to finish this book up, okay? Now, in these first um, six verses, it gives us Christian duties. He kind of summarizes and concludes what the Christian duties are. Number one, verse one, keep on loving each other as brothers. There are two commandments 631 commandments in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments in the Old Testament are reduced to two for us. What are they? The first one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. The second is like unto the first. It's love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal his wife. You won't kill his horse. 
you know, you won't do anything. Love does no ill to its neighbors. Joy. Jesus, others, and yourself. Yeah, sure. That's awesome. Keep on loving each others. Or keep on loving each other as brothers. You know, it doesn't, nowhere in this Bible that I found does it say we have to like each other. Okay? But it does say that we've got to love each other. Now, there are Christian people that I'm sure each one of us have met that we don't necessarily see eye to eye with, right? We don't have to like them, but we've got to love them. Yes, sir. Because we don't, you say? Yeah, you know, don't raise your hand. <laughs> but there are things about me that I don't like. I would say that probably most people have something about themselves that if they could change it, they would change it. Or maybe I should say, if they wanted to change it, they would change it. Okay? Yeah. Verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. That's an interesting verse. You know, that happened. That happened with uh, Abraham and Lot. You know, when, when uh, the three strangers came. And this was even, you know, this was even more important, I think, in, in a sense in these days. Because, you know, there weren't hotels really. You know, for pe people took people into their houses. People fed people that they didn't know. They entertained strangers. And you know what's, what's sad is that a lot of us don't even know our neighbors. They're strangers to us, and they live next door or whatever. Maybe we ought to entertain them more often. Maybe, maybe some, some good Christianity will rub off on them, huh? All right. It says here in verse 3, Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. Whew. Wow. I'm not going to ask if you've been in prison before. But I'll tell you one thing. It's not a very pleasant place. And there are prisoners. Um, Timothy was a prisoner. We're going to see here, he just got released from prison. That's what this author says. And there are Christians around the world that are in prison because of their faith. And we need to remember those people. How do we remember those people? Well, number one, we pray for them. Okay. Number two, we, we support ministries like prison fellowship is a good one where they go in and they actually minister to prisoners in prison. And that's how we go, that's how I go in with them. You know, I'm fortunate not to be in prison, okay, but I want to remember those who are in prison because I want them to hear the gospel, etc. Now, it says, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. You know, if somebody comes to you and they are in a bad way, okay, for some reason, whatever, the best thing you can do is give them a hug, wrap your arms around them, and listen. Just listen. They'll tell you anything that they want to tell you, don't give them a pat answer. Oh, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Sympathize with them, you know. And you know what I've found too? Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Person comes to, to me and they say, oh man, my, my car just broke down and I don't know where I'm going to get the money to fix it. Oh, that happened to me last week. Let me tell you about it. 
no, wait a minute, wait a minute. The person that came to me says, I want to tell you about it. I don't want you to tell me about your thing. Have you ever had anybody do that? Oh, my goodness, you know. And you come to somebody. I just don't tell people my problems, generally speaking, because they probably got more problems than I do, and sometimes you don't want to hear them. Uh, maybe. Um, but you know what? It says, those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, remember, these are Christian, these are Christian duties, I'm telling you. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Just good, solid, you know, moral common sense. Five, verse five, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The Bible specifically says in James that the love of money, okay, the love of, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's where greed and, um, people murder people for money. People, boy, I mean, we live in a society where money is king, don't we? And, you know, it's not bad to make money. You got, in our society, we don't grow our own food. Most of us don't. So you got to have money to go down to the grocery store. You got to have money to pay the car payment. You got to have money. You got to work to get the money. But don't allow it to be the preoccupation of your life. There's more to life than making money. You know, I always used to say, um, I don't live to work, I work to live. Even though I work a lot, I still work so that I can live. Now, he says, never will I leave. This is a a very strong double negative. He could have just said, never will I leave you. No, he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's a never, never deal. So we say, that's what God said, so now we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what can man do to me. Period. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Now this is a, um, this is a uh, instructions to remember the teachers and the leaders church leaders that have gone on all right it says remember your leaders who spoke the word of god to you consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever jesus christ is the perfect person to imitate Perfect, okay? Verse 9, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Boy, there's a lot of strange stuff going on today, my friends. Lots of strange stuff. Um, You know, we've got Christians that are trying to mix Christianity with the Jewish religion. And the two really don't mix. I think it's very important for us to know what happened and what the Jewish religion was about. Why, you ask. I'm glad you ask. Because remember what I told you? The Old Testament is what? It, everything in it is a picture of something in the New Covenant. When the Lamb was slain, it's a picture of Jesus Christ as the lamb being slain. Okay? So it's not that we abandon the old covenant. It's, the, it's just that we don't mix it with our faith. It says here, do not be carried away by all... Co- what do strange teachings usually do in a church? Yes. Divide it. They produce discord. 
Oh, I, I'm, I'm with Billy Bob over here. He, uh, he believes that we should have church on Saturday, but I'll tell you, these people over here that believe we should have church on Sunday, they're oh, sinners, just sinners, uncircumcised Philistines, I'm telling you. You know what the Bible says? It says every day should be your Sabbath day. Every single day should be your day of resting in God's promises. Okay? Every day is our Sabbath day. You want to go to church on Sunday? Fine. You want to go to church on Saturday night? If that's more convenient? Fine. Whatever. Just go. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, in chapter 10 it says, Do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some. Why? Listen, I can make you a promise and a guarantee tonight that you will walk out of this door with more faith than you walked in. That's a promise. And that's a promise from the Word. So why would we not want to get together? Besides that, I enjoy some of your company. <laughs> I told you you didn't have to like everybody. You just got to love them, right? I love y'all. You know that. Now, let's go on. It says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to eat to those who eat them. In other words, he's drawing a comparison here between the law and grace. He says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. First of all, we, this is New Testament believers, okay? What would you think our altar is? Where do we worship? Who do we worship? How do we worship? We worship through grace, don't we? God's riches at Christ's expense. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Now, who are those who minister at the tabernacle? Yes, the Old Testament priests, right. If they are going to continue thinking that keeping the law is the right thing to do, then they have no, they're not going to be eating from the table of grace, from the altar of grace, because the law was not grace. The law was the law, okay? So does that make more sense to you here? It says, we have an altar from which those who... We have an altar, and that altar is grace. It says so in the, in the um, uh, uh, preceding verse. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle, that would be the, the Old Testament type believers, that would be legalists, etc., have no right to eat. You don't mix Christ's sacrifice with animal sacrifice or with legalism or whatever it's grace it says in verse 11 the high priest now we're going back to the old testament the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering now if you go to leviticus okay the so the burnt offering the took the blood, the priest carried the blood into the tabernacle as a sacrifice, but neither the priest nor the people were allowed to eat the flesh of that particular animal. That animal, the flesh of that animal, was taken outside of the Jewish camp, outside of Jerusalem, outside of the city of Israel, and it was burned. All right. Now there's a point here. Look what it says here. It says, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. We know that. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus 
also suffered outside the city gate to make his to make the people holy through his own blood no animal blood here it says let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore why would it say that first of all let me ask you this what's inside the camp yeah but inside the camp is where the rituals were going on right Exactly, exactly right. And so that even separated, okay, that's another separation of grace from the law. Jesus Christ became a curse for us under grace, okay? Whereas inside the camp, the priests were still ministering the blood of animals. We have to go outside the camp, okay? We have to go outside of the camp into the camp of grace, the camp that Jesus Christ went into. In fact, it even says here this. It says in verse 12, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Jesus said what? If they hated me, they'll hate you. Yeah, they will. Verse 14, for here we do not have an enduring city. In other words, inside the camp, we don't, in, in, in this world, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that confess his name and do not forget to do good and share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. You know, every morning when I pray, I, I always say, Lord, I got nothing to offer you. And what do I have to offer God that he doesn't already have? No. But what I do have, I will offer you and that's the praise of my lips. He's worthy of praise, isn't he? He's worthy of thanks. He, if we said thank you, Lord, every second of every day for the rest of our lives, it wouldn't be enough. So you know what? Just say thank you and mean it. Just mean it. Praise his name and mean it. Consider Jesus, it says, who endured the cross, scorned the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider Him, study Him, investigate Him, think about Him, focus on Him, it says. Focus on Him. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. And do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. That's a little scary, you know, if you think about it. You know, the one thing that I strive to do is to teach accurately, all right? If I don't understand something in this word, I will tell you I don't understand it, or I haven't got there yet, or whatever. Or, if there's more than one way to think about something, I will oftentimes give you the optional way that people think about things, okay? The teachers are going to have a little stricter 
um, shall we say, a session with the Lord. So that's why it's so good, my friends, to know this word. You know, you want to be, you want to be straight with, with whatever you tell somebody. You want to be accurate with what you t- Because you know what? Their soul might depend upon it. It says here, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, Paul says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience, a clear conscience in what they've taught and how they've lived and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now, this is a beautiful doxology here in verse 20. It's like a blessing. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may that God equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, he says in verse 22, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. We got 13 chapters here, folks. Would you call that a short letter? Now, let me ask you this. If you... Now, remember, what... Who? First of all, who was this book of Hebrews written to? It was written to Christian believers who probably had come out of the Jewish faith. Okay? Probably while it's called the book of Hebrews. Now, what was their problem? Their problem was this, is that they were kind of hanging on to the Jewish religion, the rituals, the sacrifices, all of that stuff. They hadn't quite, they, were, they hadn't quite given, okay, all of it over to grace. And they were in danger of going back into a ritualistic religion. We have that today when people, uh, uh, I mean, the Catholic Church is all ritual. It's all ritual. So is, so is many other types of churches. Plus, you've got your legalists. And they say, well, you know, I mean... You can't do this, you shouldn't do this, you should do this, you must do this, you can't do this, you'll go to hell if you do this, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? There are things we should and shouldn't do, right? But we do them out of love, not out of law. Now, this letter, he says... I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation for I've written you only a short letter. If you are writing a letter to your Christian brothers and sisters who are in danger of going back into the law, 13 chapters might not seem like such a long letter, huh? Especially considering what he's dealt with here. Chapter 1 he dealt with the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Chapter 1 and 2, he deals with the fact that Jesus Christ is greater than angels. Chapters 2 and 3, Jesus Christ is greater than Moses, greater than Aaron, greater than... He is the greatest high priest and king ever. Chapter 3 and chapter 4, he says, listen... If you hear the voice of God today, do not harden your hearts. Okay? Don't harden your hearts. And he goes on and on. He goes, he goes into 
the, the rest of the chapters where he talks about the preeminence of Christ and his priestly role and what he accomplished through his blood and what he accomplished through his life and death until we get to this point here where he says, and what he's, all, what he's been doing, what he's been doing for these 13 chapters is he has been convincing his Hebrew brothers and sisters that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no other salvation, there's no other way to spirituality. He, that's it. He, Jesus Christ is the top of the top. Right? He says, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released, we assume, from prison. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. So either this was being written from Italy or there was people from Italy that were sending greetings back to Italy. So we don't know if this was written from Italy or whether it was... We don't know. We just don't know. Book of Hebrews, 13 chapters. Questions, comments, answers. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a sermon that was designed to be delivered. That's awesome. Well, I don't know what we're going to start. Yes. I have not. I'm, I'm tempted to start in Genesis 1-1 and go through it. There's so much good stuff in there. And you know, uh, like it was, it was, it was uh, asked, well, could we go through Isaiah? Yeah, you could, but how do you understand Isaiah unless you understand the history of Israel? Because Isaiah is a part of the history of Israel. So I think, and I've never taught the entire Old Testament from beginning to end. I'm leaning that way. Okay, and uh, previews of coming attractions, okay? The flood was a, first of all, creation was a very interesting thing. There is conjecture that between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, okay, there was a complete remodeling of the earth. Now, why would the earth need to be remodeled? Who was cast down to the earth? Who was booted out of heaven? Satan is the destroyer, isn't he? Satan destroys everything in his path, including the earth. Wouldn't that be interesting if between verse 1 and 2, Satan had been cast down and the earth needed to be remodeled? It's the tohu wabohu theory. I know that means a lot to you. <laughs> Then we get into Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 and 3, where there were giants on the face of the earth, the Nephilim. What about them? What did we do, huh? Because basketball was, <laughs> there were very tall basketball players on the face of the earth. That's very, it's, it's, and these are very controversial things. We go into Genesis chapter 10 and 11. We've got the division of nations. Okay. How nations were formed. Where did they go? When, when Noah and his family, when that ark landed, they all went somewhere. Where'd they go? And who were the good guys and who were the bad guys? Right? That's a very controversial subject. You'll have to tune in. <laughs> You'll just have to tune in, won't you? Um, and, you know, I can go on and on. When we get into to the Exodus where, uh, you know, the Jews are freed and they go through the wanderings and the desert and all that stuff, that's, I think that's very interesting. And, uh, you know, then we get into the, the period of the judges and we get into the period of the prophets and, 
and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's what I'm thinking about doing. Would that interest you guys at all? Yeah. Well, you have, have you been reading Leviticus? Is that why you say that? <laughs> really. So what, we will do, what I will do is this, is when we come to a subject that um, we can get a lesson out of, we'll get the lesson out of it, okay? And we'll study that uh, a little bit more deeply. But we, yeah, we're, yeah, we're not going to... It would take me, I would be 95 by the time I finish the Old Testament if we did it. We will do it word for word, and we will do it paragraph for paragraph, but some of it may be just reading. Well, yeah, no. We're not going to get into that right now either. Nope. Jim, you're trouble, I'm telling you. Wow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for... All your blessings. Thank you for this beautiful work, work of, of Hebrews, Lord, and for the message that it gives us. We do worship you through Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the high priest. We respect you so much, Jesus. You are indeed our hero. And we ask that, Lord, you'd bless this Sunday service as we study together and that you bring the people that you want to have come. For we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a better idea, let me know, okay? Uh, next Wednesday is the uh, Thanksgiving dinner. You guys all going to come? Next Wednesday night at 6 o'clock here in the fellowship room.